You're listening to Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Okay, we have an awesome show tonight, so we want to get started right away. First of all, let's meet the regular panelist who is with me tonight. By the way, I'm Greg. And the reason I just said that right now is because people were telling me, you know, Greg, you're forgetting to introduce yourself before the shows. And I said, am I? I figure everybody knows I'm Greg, but that's not you're the infamous. case. Uh, so I'm just, in case you don't know me, I'm Greg. With me tonight, Dan Martin. What's up, Dan? Oh, not a whole lot. I've got my coffee right here. I've got my water. I'm ready to go, ready to talk to everybody, say hi, and discuss all things con. <laughs> yes, and I missed you guys last week, so it's great to be back in the moderator seat tonight. But, Dan, let's stop pretending that you and I are interesting people, because our guests is what <laughs> it's all about tonight. We have some of the team of Con the Musical which we heard about in Star Trek Fans United. People were sharing the link. It's getting out there. It's opening off-Broadway in New York City in May. So let's meet the team with us here tonight. First, the writer and composer of Khan the Musical, Brent Black. What's up tonight, Brent? Hey, rocking and rolling. Excited to talk about the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Joining Brent is the director of the show, John Lampy. Hey, John, what's up? Hi, Dan. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, hang out with you guys for a little bit and talk some talk some Trek. Thanks for being here. And last but certainly not least, the actress who is portraying Savick in Khan the Musical, Laura Wittenberger. Welcome, Laura. Thanks. Thanks. Glad to be here. Always a it's pleasure to, have to talk here. to a Vulcan. Live long. Yes. <laughs> Dan is a big Vulcan fan. Okay, so to get right My into this. My wife cosplays as a Vulcan. That she does. So to get right into this, I would like to start with you, Brent, as this is your brainchild. Why don't you tell us a little bit of your Star Trek history and then tell us how you came up and created with this show? Great. Okay, so um, as a kid, my folks watched a little bit of Next Gen. But I'm really a pretty late bloomer as a Trekkie. Um, you know, the 2009 JJ movie came out and uh, I enjoyed it. But around then, Netflix had all the TOS movies for free. Well, for free after you pay for Netflix. And I was a caterer at the time and it just ended up telling a friend of mine, hey, you know, I'm thinking about just going through all those Star Trek movies. And he was like, oh, dude, start with the first one and Definitely make sure you get high. That was bad advice. Um, I do not think that improved the situation. But then I got to two and I was like, oh, oh, this is the Wrath of Khan. This is like the one. Anyway, to, to make a long story short, I'm one of the rare Trekkies whose fandom mostly stemmed out of 
the TOS movies. And that was a gateway to uh, Next Gen. That was a gateway to I watched all of Voyager, which is strange because I haven't even finished DS9. I don't know. If that's the right order for that. But anyway, um, I'm now versed in a lot of Trek. But yeah, that was my way in. And to answer your question about the impetus of the show, it was 2015. And I uh, had a little crush on this dancer who was, you know, like a New York independent, interpretive, modern dancer kind of person who invited me to a show in Brooklyn. And in this show, first off, uh, parts of it were not super engaging, but there were two spacemen in spacesuits. And I was kind of zoning in and out and then just went, these guys look like Chekhov and Terrell when they go into Khan's (laughs) cargo bay. And I'm just sitting there like not super entertained by their like kind of, well, the the audio audience at home can't see my weird like bad robot dancing. But I just started thinking like, how would you (laughs) even do a Wrath of Khan musical? And that kind of just nagged at me. And I made a little outline of how you would um, take the scenes from the movie and make them better for the stage, you know, instead of 360 different shots, how to make it more like 20 scenes. And uh, to put a bow on this, it was sort of a nebulous idea uh, until my friend Alina Morgan suggested to me that maybe it could be a musical that Data writes and presents on the holodeck, which could explain why it's a parody, why it's not quite historically accurate. And then I was off to the races. And while Alina has done a little bit of doctoring and tweaking a line here or there, suggesting a line here or there, ever since then, it's sort of been a a concept she helped me come up with and then i've i've done the rest of the music and lyrics that was 2015 and now coming up on eight years later we're opening off broadway now had you done any musical theater prior to that i mean certainly you're you're writing some great songs like the uh, the one have i still got the magic and all that but uh what was your background as far as theater goes uh well i was a you know, I did theater as a kid in community theater. I was also briefly a child actor in like local and regional commercials, mostly eat a hot dog and smile at the camera kind of thing. Um, and then got a degree in theater, uh, wrote Excellent. some musicals. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been sort of, it is my background, I guess, to the extent that I have one. And I was writing musicals in high school, went to grad school for the weirdest program in history, which is the NYU Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. Basically, it's theater Hogwarts. It's very strange. Oh, man, I'd and, love to uh, go there. That'd be awesome. Uh, it's very. You should check out their website or some videos sometime because it's like you truly may as well be going to, you know, potions on Tuesday and uh, anyway. But um, the point is. Uh, I do have quite a background in theater. I had a, uh, an off-Broadway musical flop in 2010 uh, that I think stuck with me. It's probably why I've tinkered on this one for almost eight years, because that one I worked on for, you know, more like two and a half and it flopped. So anyway, I think that uh, that, that that informs the level of. Uh, we'll, we'll say, we'll say, yeah, I think tinkering is the right, the right word. Just about every success has three or four flops behind it. If you've only got one before you get the big one, Hey, you're rocking and rolling. Fingers crossed. And I got to tell you, Brent, uh, you're not the only one who got into star Trek from the films. I did myself actually. Um, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people get into star Trek from the films. Um, so it is not an abnormal thing actually. Now I'm actually going to, uh, jump over to Laura 
because Brent actually mentioned to me you had been with the show before. Had there been so the, the first question is so how you got involved in the show and had there been like workshop productions or um, things of that nature? Uh, so yeah, that's that's this is the first like staged production. So I'm I mean we did semi staged readings. Um, like the very first one I did in 2019 was um, I saw a backstage posting. Um, which is backstage is a place where uh, they list a bunch of auditions for actors to go out for, for professional jobs and some other jobs and, and all sorts of different kinds of jobs. And so I applied on there thinking like, oh, this will be an interesting little fringe festival show in Philadelphia. Um, maybe I'll get picked for it. And, um, and Brent wrote me back and was like, do you have any Disney stuff? Um, like I, I have a different idea for Savick. Um, so like, I, you know, like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the movie, but, um, I'm going in a little bit different direction. So do you have any Disney stuff? And I was like, okay, I'll send him like little mermaid or, or something. And I sent that in and he was like, great, great. Like, here's the sides. I read some stuff from the script and, um, yeah, then came down on the bus to Philadelphia and did the first reading in Philadelphia, um, at the fringe festival, which, um, was really cool. I fell in love with the script. I was like, "This, the music is great. The script is great. I'm going to try to follow this show wherever it goes next. So skip to a few years later. And this past summer, um, I saw a theater that I had had friends work with in Florida. And a friend of mine is, is a music director down there sometimes for the shows. And he was like, we do this new musicals festival. You should submit for this theater company down here in F Orlando, Florida. And I saw what musicals they were giving and Khan was on there. I was like, I know Khan. Wow. I love Khan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit for that. Um, so fortunately, I got to do the show again. Um, and then the final reading was in New York State, like uh, north of New York. Um, where, what was the town called? Phillipstown. Uh, Phillipstown. Yes. So it was like we took the train north uh, to Phillipstown uh, outside the city and, and did the last reading there, which was exciting. Each one has been really different. Sure. Sure. It's workshop, uh, the nature of workshop. Let me ask you, how familiar were you with uh, Star Trek and the Wrath of Khan in particular? So not familiar with the Wrath of Khan or the old uh, like uh, original series at all. I uh, oh, actually had only seen Next Generation. Um, I watched a bunch of that in in college and liked it then, but had never even seen maybe even a full episode of the original series. So uh, it's really through this musical that I started watching the movies and getting into it and and enjoying it um, with these like exploring it backwards, I guess, doing the project and then um researching sure. for the character and whatnot watching these movies and loving it well i would imagine without spoilers if uh, they're uh, doing something a little bit different with savick in the show you didn't have to uh -huh. look at kirstie alley or robin curtis to kind of get a uh, a feel for the character yeah kinda yeah i watched your own the clips there. before oh, i even did. saw the movies loved it yeah <laughs> Well, that's pretty awesome but with the disney influence instead of like do you want to build a snowman it's like do you want to build a starship yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So you cannot do a show without the director, which brings us to the director. So I'm going to ask you, John Lepi, what your Star Trek history was and how you got involved with this show. Sure. So uh, first off, I was a TOS kid uh, and I actually didn't watch a single Excellent. frame of Next Generation until like maybe... Five years ago, uh, skipped over all that was a big TOS kid growing up. 
And then kind of similar to Brent, when the Abrams movies came out, I was working as an actor in this tiny town in Iowa with a single movie theater where the only thing they played was Star Trek. And I went and saw it because there was nothing else to do in this tiny town in Iowa. And we were all, you know, gaga over Star Trek because it was the only thing to see. And uh, I remember telling the people that I saw it with like, oh, if you guys like that, you really should, you really should watch the TV show. The TV show is really good. Uh, Like it's really different, but it's like really good. Uh, So this was around the time that those were all on Netflix. And then uh, that kind of led me back down the rabbit hole as an adult rediscovering the series and then the films from there. Um, I had seen, I know I'd seen Wrath of Khan as a kid, because how can you ever forget Montalban? Um, like that was ingrained in me. Uh, but that might that may have actually been the only film of the original series films that I saw. Um, so it was kind of cool because because I got to have like the experience as a child of like, oh my God, this is so cool. They're in space, they're blah, blah, blah. And then later coming back to it as an adult who had worked in television and seeing just like the um, <laughs> the nuts and bolts of that show or the zippers and plywood as the case may be. <laughs> um, but to go kind of like approach it from a different way and appreciate it um, from that perspective where like, Ah, uh, yeah, it was it was very earnestly made art with, uh, you know, all of the seams showing. Oh, and, and I also uh, I had picked up a copy of I Am Spock, so Leonard Nimoy's second autobiography. Yes, uh, which led me w- again d- further down a rabbit hole to reading all of the uh, you know all of his books. And even Shatner's, some of Shatner's books, he's written a lot. Um, Have you read James Dewan's book? No, I haven't actually. Order, go online, find his book, order it, read it. He led one of the most amazing lives you could ever possibly imagine. The things he did, the heroism when he was in the military, just amazing stuff. Well, and he, an he's my biggest. Yeah, he, I'm his biggest, you know, fan, and he's my favorite character. Well, it's funny to look at like him or like um, DeForest Kelly, uh, specifically those two who were like just working LA actors. You know, they had a couple of bit parts and westerns here and there and some TV shows. But these were guys who were like, well, Star Trek's going to be another two week two week gig, and then I'll go on to FBI next week or whatever. And that these ended up being these totally seminal parts for them. Uh, is yeah. really fascinating. So long answer to your short question about um, how I came into Star Trek. That's that. Uh, how the show uh, very fortuitously fell into my lap is that Brent and I have a mutual friend who is also a big nerd uh, who I had recently been doing a Buffy the Vampire Slayer rewatch with who mentioned Excellent. to me, oh, you know what? I have a friend who is uh, who has written a, a, a rap of con parody. And uh, Brent and I joke a lot about, okay, so what's your second line when you tell someone it's a Star Trek parody musical and I promise it's really good Um, because you hear that first part and you go, oh, what now? Um, (laughs) So luckily, uh, Brent and I, we had a meeting over Zoom. He sent me the materials and it was I was just floored uh, and 
that that was pretty much it for me was like, okay, this is, I'll do whatever I got to do to be involved in this production. And uh, yeah, luckily they, they wanted to work with me and so far so good. I would just That's real fan. quick like to yeah. point out a yeah. story that is true. John and I did an interview zoom or like a pre-interview, just like get to know each other zoom. And his background was the TOS enterprise bridge. And he claimed it was not for that interview it was not and i was like so i mean it's it's about a year later john is that true or did you just like it it is true so i had two <laughs> zoom backgrounds at the time um that i just because i was so sick of being on zoom for everything that i had a background up uh one was the enterprise bridge and the other was amazing fantasy 15 and i I would have to, depending on like what color shirt I would wear, I would either blend in with the back of the enterprise or I'd blend in with Spider-Man. So I went with the enterprise that time. Nice. Well, it could have been, it could have been Spider-Man and we could have been doing a very different musical. Yes. True. Well, it was a hell of a way to first see what you looked like. It was like, (laughs) Oh, okay. Knows how to make an entrance. Very nice. Very nice. It's interesting, however, and, and being a Trek fan just a li- most of my life, but still got into all of the series a little bit later. Um, it is interesting, however, you both mentioned the J.J. movie, uh, the first one. It did bring a lot of fandom into Star Trek. Like, so I give that and Discovery both credit, which maybe the fans are a little bit mixed on, but still they really did bring in new fandom and making people go back and check them out. Um, I want to put out sort of a roundtable to all three of you, but I want to start with you, Brent. What is it that you can tell us about the show? Um, you did mention a little bit at first that Data actually puts on this musical. What is it that you can tell us without spoilers for those that are going to go see it? Well, so I'll just like recap the first couple minutes, which sort of set everything into motion. Um, And I'll contextualize it for the Trekkies listening. So right around the time Data is exploring theater in the holodeck, you may remember an episode that begins with him playing Scrooge while Picard watches. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, excellent. It is. And I kind of thought, what if like right around that time, Data took it a little further and wrote his own musical? And like, what would he write it about? Now, of course, I was reverse engineering what I already wanted to do, which was a Wrath of Khan musical. But um, so it has evolved into this concept where it's kind of like the, the meme you've seen on social media of we forced a bot to watch a thousand hours of such and such. <laughs> and here's what it wrote. Data literally says, I forced myself to watch a thousand hours of 20th century Earth musicals. And so he's writing a musical comedy adaptation of a very dramatic action story and <laughs> doesn't quite get that that's not the right tone for this story. Um, and so not only does it come out kind of like a comedy, which allows for a lot of parody, but just as much as there are Star Trek jokes, there are references to musical theater because data sees tropes and tries to like his algorithmic brain spits out or rather, sorry, the program he's written on the holodeck spits out songs that are, you know, um, for instance, Khan's intro. This is a, I'm not sure this is a spoiler. We'll, we'll just let your folks in a little that are listening in a little bit. Um, I realized while writing the show that um, Chekhov and Terrell have entered this place. They, they could use some help. It's an inhospitable place with a storm outside. 
And then this totally scary weirdo shows up and all of his followers. Am I, am am I describing con or am I describing the Rocky horror picture show? Brad and Janet (laughs) come in the mansion storm outside. And I just went, Oh shit. I'm hoping that I can be great. If they're carrying a Cleveland plane dealer over their head, you know, (laughs) I mean like, well, their, their helmets are similar. Yeah. Uh, We'll say, we'll say, but basically it is a very reminiscent cons first song of uh, the first song that Frankenfurter sings in Rocky Horror. So you see, especially early on in the musical, a lot of data not realizing he's kind of borrowing too much um, and he's kind of mixing and matching too many musical theater tropes. But like any good data episode, as the show goes on, he learns something that we kind of already know and we see it through his eyes. So he sort of learns more about how musical theater works and maybe a little bit more about the human condition, you know, aging and why did, Captain Kirk, rather, why did Admiral Kirk yell Khan? Was he faking it? Was he this? Well, why do humans do stuff like this? So that's a little a little taste of um, the premise and a little bit of how it plays out over the course of the show. Which is a perfect segue to my roundtable uh, question for all of you. You guys can just feel free to throw things out. Um, and John as director, Laura, we did hear a little bit about how you got involved with the show. But what is the process like, especially with casting, that you were casting these very well-known characters and then just the approach and the process, especially for you, John, and of course, in writing the music and of course the casting these, uh, you know, iconic roles, uh, no pun intended in iconic. Um, <laughs> but of course that, that being like a role that is just like beyond iconic, the man played Khan twice and he's remembered much more for that than even Mr. Rourke, who he played for seven years over yeah. over 100 episodes. So why don't you guys, I'm going to have you guys just sort of free flow here, uh, what that whole process is like. Sure. So I'll, I'll jump in on the casting thing first. And uh, what what is really fun about this, what, what Brent has set up as kind of the conceit of the show, and it's what I always come back to, is that because this is Data's musical, it's not necessarily historically accurate, right? Uh, it's I compare it to... Um, like if you had to write uh, a musical about the war of 1812, but you kind of had to just go with it and it may or may not be exactly what happened in the war of 1812. Also, you have a budget of $11 go. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I keep calling it data's community theater production of the wrath of Khan, um, which buys us, I think a lot of credence, but it also lets us have a bit of a cockeyed view on things. Right. Um, and in terms of casting, What's really fun with that is that it opens it up away from um, kind of strict impersonations. Like, obviously, you want people, you want your Shatner to be a little Shatnery. But I will tell you, <laughs> Shatner is really fun in, in like three second or, you know, two and a half minute scenes. But if you're just watching that on stage for two hours, whoo, it can get tiresome. So you got to break that up a little bit, right? Um, but the nice thing about it is, like I said, it allows us to go away from like kind of the strict cosplay interpretations or impressions of each of these characters and lets, lets us open that up a little bit. Uh, and again, it, we're adapting it to a different medium, right? Where in the film, you, you have Uhura in like, I don't know, maybe six accumulative minutes of that movie. Yeah. You know, and she's yeah. mostly in the back. 
But because of the way the show is structured, we can have more Uhura. She can be on stage. She can be in numbers. Lots of different stuff that allows us to use the the actors that we have. And it's a, a relatively small cast, right? And of um, course, the Uhura has a musical background. So it's logical to use that character musically. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it, it's, it's a lot of... Uh, I'll say it's a lot of fun for me as a person that knows that film well to see the jumping off points, um, both in terms of casting and in terms of the show itself. Now, as directing and producing, do you ever have to say to your Kirk, whoa, that's too much, Bill, back off, <laughs> you know? Uh, yes. And I had a friend that's of... played Kirk and and like he, he told his directors, you know, just always tell me if I go too far, Bill, you know? Yeah, it was something when we were actually in auditions with actors, I'd, you know, I'd kind of say, give me, give me a bunch of Shatner first off, you know, I want to see that you can do it. And then we'll, we'll dial it back from there. And then you kind of break it down into the, the Shatnerisms themselves. What are they? It's the pauses, it's the cadences, it's the, the knuckle knocking, it's these kind of things. And you go, okay, so maybe we can do one of those in this scene. Because if we do all three, this, you know, half a page scene is going to take us 15 minutes, which is not as funny on stage. So, yes, a, a lot of stuff. What I will always ask the actors in this process is to, you know, go go too far. Give us too much because we can always dial it back. We can always pull it back from there. But it's like, uh, you know, if you if you came into audition for Spock and you were turning cartwheels well, we probably know you don't have, or you, you know, you maybe just didn't research it or anything, but or this is probably not flowers, a good start. You know. yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. It's probably not a good start. Um, yeah. So if that answers your question, yes, definitely. We have people that will go too far and that's what we're looking for. Too far is good. We can always reel you back. So Laura, I wanted to ask you, so you being the veteran of the cast, you played Savick from the very beginning from the workshops. Um, what has been the genesis of the character? And again, no pun intended there, or maybe it was <laughs> wink, wink. Um, from the beginning until now, as you guys are rehearsing the off-Broadway production. Well, I, I mean, I think this, it's, Savick's really interesting in this show because I think she's the one who in the musical version is the most different from the movie. So at least like each time, each of the three times I've done it now have been uh, uh, edits, significant edits um, to the script and the music and things. But her theme music kind of has stayed the same um, for some little solo bits, uh, which has been great. Uh, and I think like I've, I've tried to take her in different directions based on what I'm reading in the script and based on what direction I've had. Uh, along the way. It's really interesting because in the beginning, I kind of was trying when I was auditioning for the role to do it like the movie. Like I was mm. trying to do the Kirstie Alley, like kind of like this, you know, the eyebrow and the really mm -hmm. serious kind of serious demeanor. And um, she's, uh, Brent, can I say that what she, her other half Absolutely. is? Absolutely. Although, okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> is that, well, a, I mean, is like, that I, a joke you don't want to ruin? I, I think that bringing up the answer to that from the Philly one will actually tickle some some Trekkie nerds because they know where it comes from and maybe start from there and go on. I don't know. Not to not to cue you, but I'm like, talk about that. <laughs> I just didn't want to ruin any surprises. No, I don't think it's a spoiler. I think it's fun. So she's half Vulcan and half 
ingenue in this <laughs> musical theater version, <laughs> which um, <laughs> which uh, changes her personality. I mean, you get to see a lot more of what she wants. Um, so you see her kind of struggling with an identity, kind of a Jekyll and Hyde identity crisis um, that has kind of developed over over the readings um, to be she's struggling with wanting to be cold and collected and intelligent and and have the right answer for everything logically. But then her feelings are so overwhelming, they're getting the better of her in, in certain other moments. So uh, and you've been in dynamic, Jekyll and Hyde, if I remember correctly. I have. Yeah. Yeah, I played Lucy in Jekyll and Hyde, which is which was fun. I I didn't get to play Jekyll and Hyde, but uh, it was cool to play her. <laughs> very cool. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. Yeah, Brent, as you were saying, being that this sounds like so much fun, being that it's uh, data doing a reenactment of history and not exactly historically accurate. It's just great how you could take creative liberties for it and have so much fun with it. Yeah, well, you know, it's like with iconic characters. So so when movies get adapted to musicals, so often you have uh, combination characters or composite characters where, you know, they go, oh, we really don't need these two or three people. Let's make them one. Uh, or you have characters that are literally just cut. And so if I really wanted to make a musical that was just about Kirk's story and nobody had ever heard of this musical I might have cut Savick because she if we're trying to keep the cast small sorry Laura but wait there's a happy ending though because Savick is one of these characters that she doesn't really have a whole lot of a song in her heart in the movie and to the extent that she would would she sing it because she's a Vulcan um, but that being said in the novelization and the shooting script and this is what I was referring to earlier in the, in the shooting screenplay of Wrath of Khan and the novelization, she's half Romulan. So I tried to revert to that in the Philly draft so that we have a place for her to sing from her heart, but it's a Romulan place. And it just, you know, I really wanted to find a way to make Savik a character that was not just an obligation, but rather a treat. And like someone through whom we can see the universe that, especially for non-Trekkies, the universe they're not familiar with. And Savik is a little bit that in the movie. So it's like, how can she be funny? How can we kind of care about what she wants in this world? How can she express it in a way that feels like it makes sense? Um, and it only took me uh, seven and a half years. And I think, I think, folks, we may have nailed it, but it's been fun watching Laura kind of like adapt to the new flavor of it this many times i think this i think this fourth time is pretty close to the last one but um even then <laughs> some 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 tweaks well i'll tell you i know that there are a lot of trekkies as there's two star trek groups which is actually how this podcast got started from from uh fan groups on facebook uh that are very excited and so a perfect segue tell them where when it's running and how to get tickets uh, well, we are going to open at the Players Theater in New York City on May the 4th. You're just going to have to believe that was a coincidence because it was. But much like John having the the uh, Enterprise Bridge background, sometimes miracles happen. What can I say? But um, we open. However, on... you know, May the 5th is Borg Day. I oh, well, there you go. There yeah, you go. Yeah, there, that May 5th is, I believe, the introduction of the Borg. I read this that was in Q Who 
in uh, 1989, yeah. I think it was. And so it actually is still a Star Trek event. Well, then the, then May 4th Star just Trek became Day. a preview officially. Oh, right. right. <laughs> um, uh, no, but we, we run weekends, Thursday through Sundays until June 4th. That's five weekends. And our official website is con is coming. And don't forget that's K H A N. People love to spell it wrong, and I've done it myself. K H A N is coming.com. And uh, yeah, I I think that's the pertinent information. John, Laura, did I forget anything? Uh, no, I think you got it. The the website certainly got links to the tickets as well as info on the cast and creative team uh, and all sorts of fun stuff to check out there as well. And we try to That's, keep our um, yeah. we try to keep our social media fun. We're con the musical on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. Though Facebook won't let us use exclamation points for our page, so we just put con in in, in all caps and hope that people know we're the same thing. But we're um, you can search that there as well. We'll be happy to link you in our groups. Um, so before we get into plugs for all three of you, um, we're do you hope that this show goes to uh, Broadway, a tour, or whatever happens, happens, or a film, or what are so, you open for? So, you know, I get asked a lot about Broadway, and the thing is, like, you know, theater is one of these weird industries where if you have an indie film, then it could become a feature film. If it gets big enough, it could become a feature film and it only has to be released once and it can get on Netflix and become a DVD with a musical being on Broadway means it has to bring, you know, hundreds, if not over a thousand people to it, to watch it, to pay and sit down, you know, easily over a hundred dollars in many cases for years in a row every day. Um, and so some shows, just it's not that their quality isn't a Broadway show. It's that their style, their size isn't a Broadway show. So while I think this is, I mean, obviously it's very good. I think that it's more of an intimate theater kind of show. I think it does really well in like a maybe 50 to 500 seat space where you really can see the actor's eyes. They can see you. They're talking to you. Um, but that doesn't really answer your question. I, I want this to eventually be the kind of show that can be done um, all over the country in all kinds of different theaters. It's um, it's got a few bad words, but none of them are necessary. None of them are key and they could all be changed for like, I think this show will have succeeded when a, like a, a church youth group is doing it uh, and they're asking. <laughs> oh, I'm itching about... to have it come to the University of Michigan. We got some great theaters of all sizes here on oh, campus, and I would you... love to see this show. U of M is like a, a lot of very talented people I've met have come out of there. Um, I want to see you I guys. Know. I want you guys to come and do it right here. Handshake <laughs> done. Um, but yeah, so, so like there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's that avenue. There's touring. There's uh, there's, you know, an open ended run on broad or an open ended run off Broadway, which is like a Broadway show. But it's a smaller theater where, you know, I'd love this show to just run for literal years, become a staple of uh, of New York indie theater. There have been parody shows. I think the Office parody musical has run, if you don't count having to close for COVID lockdown, it's run for something like four years. And um, there are just shows that run and run. And so that would be great. If I'm honest, I think being translated into a different language and being done in a different country is kind well, of like... if. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, we'll do it on the Klingon moon of Praxis. Um, anyway, uh, wait, what's that you say? Okay, right sorry, as it explodes. A, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, like I have friends in Norway who were like, we'll help you translate it. And there's a really surprisingly booming musical theater culture in South Korea. And sometimes I just like if I'm really into a new musical or a new musical theater song, I'll go and like, you know, those of you who know you're in town, the musical I watched run freedom, run the big, like second act gospel number. That's so fun. And one of my favorites, I watched in Korean the other day and I was like, this is somehow better to see how the fun of the song, the beauty of the melody just totally transcend language. And this Korean cast is having an amazing time and the audience is losing their minds. Um, So to me, if there's like a big ultimate, you know, uh, dream with this show, it's it's transcending English as picky of a lyricist as I am and being done, you know, Germany, South Korea, Norway, who, wherever someone listening is like, yeah, we will we will pay the money for this to somehow occur. That would be great. well, there were definitely cult classics that ran off Broadway forever, like Evil Dead, the musical, of course. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are shows like that were based on very, very popular franchises. Like you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Look what's happened with that. Sure. You know, schools do it and the churches do. So you never know. Con the musical can can go that way. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. We encourage our listeners to check it out if you're in the New York metropolitan area. So now you guys get to plug yourselves wherever you want to be found on the interwebs or where people could see other work of works of yours. We're going to start with Laura Wittenberger. Where can folks find you? Where do you want folks to find you? Hmm, uh, I mean, hopefully on stage in New York, that would be cool. Yeah. Come see the show, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, that would be the best. I mean, I travel around and do regional theater all around the country. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing the travel life a lot when I'm not in New York. Um, so ideally come see me in person at a, at a show. Um, I usually try to update my schedule every month or so on my website, laurawittenberger.com. Um, and I try to occasionally post, I don't have a great recording setup, but I try to post some stuff on YouTube. So you can usually search Laura Wittenberger on YouTube and find some of my old embarrassing audition clips and some of my newer clips and, uh, (laughs) stuff other people posted if there, if there is anything. Um, but yeah, I, I would say my website is, is a good first stop. Sounds great. Is there any of your music on Spotify or any of those places? Uh, yeah, I was, I did a couple Irish music albums, um, a few years back. So if you look on Spotify and you type my name in, you'll probably find some cool Irish music. Excellent. Yeah. My wife and I love Irish music. Mm -hmm. Grandparents from County Kerry and County Clare. Oh yeah. Nice. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Irish music. John Lampy, where can folks find you? Oh, you can keep in touch at my website, which is just my first and last name, johnlampy.com. Um, I'm usually updating things there. Um, I also run a theater company, a nonprofit off-Broadway theater company here in New York. So if you uh, if you can't get tickets to Con because they're sold out, you can always check out And Theater Company. That's andtheatercompany.org. Uh, we run all sorts of shows and programs throughout New York, Um uh, but yeah, I also I'm on Twitter at other John Lampy. I almost never post there, but I'm often there uh, liking the memes from the the uh, the con social media 
out account. So <laughs> uh, you could certainly follow me on there or keep in touch on my website or even better when you're in New York, when you're in New York, come and see the show and uh, stop by afterwards. And I'd love to say hello and thank you. Last but certainly not least, the scribe himself, Brent Black, where can folks find you? Well, like John said, come see the show. When John said the word sold out, I for a split second was like, we're not sold out, are we? You must be joking. And no, you said if. But anyway, we so, so to when, everyone listening, everyone so listening, if you out. if you are like me and somehow misunderstood that, we do yeah. need you to purchase tickets <laughs> yeah. and gum yeah. put your buttocks <laughs> in a chair. But anyway, so um, it will get sold out. Exactly. 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 But um. So, yeah, you can find all my stuff at brentblack.net, including my weird YouTube comedy parody videos, which I do as Brental Floss. Uh, I have a video game that is a party game called Use Your Words. And there's more information about Con there. Again, that's brentblack.net. And I got to say, your name would be perfect on the radio. Brent Black, WRKO News Now, you know, something like Thank that. Thank you. I've done a couple podcasts, but, uh, you know, it's, I'm luck. I, I got to say, as podcasters, you might understand, I'm not super mad about the break I'm taking from the podcast life. It's a it's a whole thing. But maybe one day I'll be back on the Internet airwaves. Brent Black. <laughs> yeah. Well, Coming to you live uh, with Star Trek news. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the fifth on how I feel about podcasting. No, I'm just kidding. I love it. I love doing this show. Well, thanks so much for all three of you. John Lampy, Laura Wittenberger, and Brent Black for coming on. We're really looking forward to this, and we hope that uh, everybody will go out and see it. Thanks so much. We will see you next time. What's coming up? Ah, I know what's coming up, Dan, on the next show. On the next show, we are actually going to have two writers who are actually going to freestyle and improvise a Star Trek story. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we don't know where it's going to go. So that's Yes, yes. It's going to be so excited about it. So we will see you next time. We're going to end transmission now, but I'm going to hand it back to Dan Martin to take us out where you can find the team. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Find our team members, Greg Vorob on Facebook, G-R-E-G-V-O-R-O-B, on YouTube at Greg Vorob. Also, check out MSV Podcast Presents The Fake and the Whimsy. Daniel Hawley on Facebook, H-U-L-L-E-Y, and on Twitter at bland underscore dull underscore don't. Ken Radner on Facebook, K-E-N-R-A-D-N-E-R. And me, Dan Martin, at BasemanDanMartin3700 on YouTube. Find this podcast on Facebook at the groups Star Trek Fans United and Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Like us on Facebook at Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. On Twitter at STTU Podcast. Or shoot us an email to sttupodcast at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. And until next time, live long and prosper.